Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. My name is Alex, and I'd like like to welcome my colleague for today's podcast, Alicia. Hello. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Uh, this is a This Month in Women's History podcast episode. The month is currently October, and today we're talking about Georgia Neese Clark Gray. Who, I'm ashamed to say I didn't actually understand what her role was or who she was in general. Or so. her importance. Right, right. So tell me why we're talking about Georgia in October. I would love to. <clears throat> um, Georgia Nice Clark Gray, whose signature um, is Georgia Nice Clark, um, I imagine because, you know, Georgia Nice Clark she, Gray, that's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of words. Well, yes, but she also remarried after. That's true. That's true. Um, we're just going to call her Georgia Nice or Georgia Clark. Yeah. During this, uh, or Georgia. During the podcast. Anyway, Georgia, she appeared on some $30 billion in paper money while she was the first woman to serve as treasurer of the United States. Uh, Georgia served from 1949 until 1953. I think it's important to note that her name became known to millions through her signature on all U.S. currency while she was in office. Yep. Um, <clears throat> she passed away in October 1995. So we're honoring her in the month of October, but we're also, I mean, we're going to talk about Georgia, but we're also going to talk about the treasury because I really had no idea what that meant to be the treasurer of the United States of America. Yeah. Or like um, what, what does the treasury actually do? Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, that was something that you and I had to do some research on for this yeah, so podcast. So for those of you who are also failed by the American education system, um, we're going to give a little crash course in what the treasury actually does yep. besides the IRS. Everybody knows what the IRS does. <laughs> But, um, and we're also going to talk about how Georgia Nice Clark fits into that, uh, the, but the treasury discussion will put some context around how important she was and continues to be. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Georgia, AKA trailblazer, um, AKA, uh, kicker down of doors. Right. You know, we call her that because every person to serve after her as treasurer since her, uh, appointment has been a woman. So yeah, she is the kicker down of doors. She is. We're going to definitely talk about that later um, um, in this podcast. So, uh, Alicia, if you would, would you talk about Georgia and um, her early life? Sure. So, Georgia Nice was born in Richland, a rural community of about 200 people in, um, <clears throat> what was the name of the town? Topeka? Topeka? No. It's, you said Richland. Richland. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Totally blank there. <laughs> I had a moment. It's okay. Um, Please excuse me. Uh, so Georgia Nice was born in Richland, which is a rural community of about 200 people. Um, it's about 15 miles southeast of Topeka. Her parents were named Albert Nice and Ella Sullivan Nice. She kept her maiden name even when she got married. Mm-hmm. Um, her father was a self-made man. So before she was born, he was a farmer and a businessman. He um, had prospered and had become the town's leading citizen by pretty much owning it. He owned so much of this town. He owned, like, um, farms, you said. Mm -hmm. But he also owned the bank and the general store. And he had a couple of other real estate holdings. Right. Uh, And then, (laughs) like, that's hilarious to me. The bank that he owned was called Richland State Bank. And it was founded in 1892. Mm -hmm. Um, As Georgia grew up, um, she briefly attended a college called Bethany College. which You attended Bethany College. Yes, but they're not the same. 
Uh, this one is an All Episcopalian right. school for women in Topeka. There is a Bethany College in Kansas, and there's a Bethany College in West Virginia. I attended the Country Roads version, and she attended the <laughs> Kansas version. But I have a funny story about that. I really want to hear this funny story. Okay, so... Because you telling funny stories is not, you know, like, it, it's it's a rare occurrence, so... I'm thanks. kidding. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Hilarious. Anyway, me. The, <laughs> the, um, the funny story is that on my freshman orientation... There was a gentleman there who was also a freshman that thought he attended, had had applied to and agreed to attend and signed his letter of intent for the Kansas Bethany College. What? And he was pretty shocked that he was in West Virginia at that point. Uh, but like what? all of the financial aid had gone through. Like it, at no point did he look at the address. He just saw Bethany College because I guess he applied to both of them. But like when he was driving to school... Didn't I mean, he realize that he was in West Virginia? I mean, he realized that before that point, but he didn't realize it until after, because he had agreed to play football. Oh, that's bad. Bethany College in West Virginia, which was like a D3 awful team. And I don't know what the standings are for the one in Kansas, but they had to have been better than the one in West Virginia. And oh so he had goodness. already like signed a letter of intent and accepted all these scholarships for sports. Yeah, to play at, football. West Virginia Bethany College. And then he, after all of the financial aid went through and, and like he was picking classes, he was confused, like the West Virginia history one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he realized that he was attending the wrong Bethany College. And I, if I recall correctly, he had a couple of friends. They all intended to go to the same school and they went to the right Bethany College and he went to the wrong one. I, I'd like to say poor guy, but <sighs> this goes back to a conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago about. Nobody reads anymore. Like nobody reads their their emails specifically. Uh, we were talking about that. Uh, I but like didn't it's cringeworthy. The so whole you and I are both millennials. We're mm-hmm. we're uh, older. Millennials. We're older millennials, but we grew up in the age where most of our like um, our school communications were still paper. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're still paper anymore. They I are imagine not. they're probably digital. It's all digital. It's all Google Classroom and. So like he Apps. he got packages in the mail that had a return address that was not Kansas right on it. I would also imagine that uh, the two Bethany colleges have had this problem before with distinguishing themselves between the other, and they probably have slightly different logos. Very different logos. One of them is like a chicken or like a bird of some sort. Okay. It looks like a rooster, right. and their colors are like. Um, blue, I think, kind of like Kansas State University. I think it's sort of okay, similar. And what were Look, yours from uh, green, like Hunter Green, and it was a bison. And all of Bethany College, West Virginia, all of their correspondence has this crest on it. It doesn't have a chicken. Sure. So I'm sure the other one has a different crest. So okay, this guy. Uh, if you ever listen to this podcast, can you please reach out to Alicia because we would really like to talk to you. Like, where are you now? Are you okay? Um, <laughs> he he was very surprised, but he stuck it out because I mean he stuck it out for like a year or two, and then that surprises me. He transferred. Um, well, he was kind of stuck there. He had agreed for the first year to play. Couldn't yeah. Leave. Yeah. Um. Anyway, reach out to us. We'd love Unrelated. to talk to you. Unrelated. No. So anyway, anyway, Georgia Nice Clark. Yeah, back to Georgia. She attended the Bethany College in Kansas correct one that she tried to attend i believe um before transferring to what is now washburn university she received a bachelor's degree in economics from washburn university of topeka in 1921 Mm -hmm. she majored in economics she was um president of the drama club also 
um, she actually wanted to be an actress. And so she moved to New York City after her graduation from Washburn. And she enrolled in the Franklin Sargent School for Dramatic Art, or excuse me, of Dramatic Arts. So think about, you know, as you do, you just decide to up and move to New York City. Well, if you're an act, if you want to be an actress, there's two cities for you. Right. New York I think that would be terrifying. Absolutely. As a, you know, let's assume that she's a 22 year old because mm-hmm. most kids graduate at 22. Mm-hmm. 22 years old, you move in the 19, uh, what, 20s? Uh, yeah. 1930s. Um, I think it's 20s. It's yeah. just, it was 20s. She moved in 20s. Uh, you moved to New York City on your own. That's mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. It's during the time of, uh, you know, prohibition. Gangsters. Um, yeah, gangsters. Yeah. Stick them up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, I was going to say something, but I won't. <laughs> she pursued her acting career for 10 years until 1931. She got to meet some really cool people. Right. She met Helen Hayes and Charlie Chaplin. She toured the country with them, actually. That's really cool. Yeah. She must not have, she must have been good. Yeah. She yeah. must have been a really good actress. Um, she also married George M. Clark, her manager in 1929, hence the last name Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the advent of motion pictures with sound and the onset of the depression, her career sort of ended and she returned to Richland to care for her ailing father. Mm-hmm. Um, and who this owned is, the whole town. Yeah. And, and the bank. And mm-hmm. this is kind of where she started her transition from, um, you know, what, what she wanted to do when she was younger with the acting mm-hmm. into what ended up being her real career in right. banking. Right. So after her father got better. She started working at the bank as an assistant cashier in 1935. You know, lowest level person there. You know, work your way up. That old mentality of you got to understand how everybody's job is. So work your way up from the bottom to the top. I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's just hard work and dedication. Two years later, at her when her father passed away, she became president of the bank, as well as all of the family's things, like the general store, the grain elevator, lumber yard, insurance agency, many farms. And other real estate that we don't have named here. Yeah, you said you just said something, um, and I, being a city girl that I am, uh, have no idea what that is. Uh, Can I guess which one it is? Yes, go ahead. Is it grain elevator? Yes. Okay. Um, please explain to me <laughs> what is a grain elevator because I know what those two words mean separately, but uh, city girl don't know what what a grain elevator is. So a grain elevator is, in essence, an elevator that moves grain from one floor to another, but the, the surrounding facility is also called a grain elevator. In this case, that's what we're referring to. So it's a facility where you store grain, but it has a huge elevator in it that moves up and down that you can take the the grain from the top floor down to the bottom floor and fill this like gigantic area with grain or, you know, like a, some kind of like a silo, but not the same. So I have a picture in my head um, and that is, you know, like in the movies or the TV where uh, the hero has to jump into the grain and uh, they like get sucked down into it because you know naturally that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And they gotta like save something or someone, like usually the damsel yeah. or a child. Yeah, that's exactly um, what it is. Okay, all right. What movie is that? With like, got it. There's a movie from the '90s or maybe late '80s where um, it has Robert Downey Jr. in it, and he's a crooked FBI agent. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna uh, figure out what up. it is. Let's look it yeah. up because we both love our DJ. So there is there is a grain el- there is a grain elevator esque moment you okay. just described at the end. Yeah, well, let's watch that. Yeah, uh, when we figure out what it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's go back to talking about Georgia instead of uh, Robert Downey Jr. Okay. But we'll come back to him. Later. <laughs> we'll talk about him offline. Um, anyway, so you know, during all of this time that Georgia is working in the bank, she's also. Um, been active in the state Democratic Party, and she was actually elected to the Democratic National Committee 
um, as a member from Kansas in 1936, and she held that position until 1964. Mm -hmm. She was a very articulate and um, a well-liked speaker. Um, she was also a very early supporter of um, then-future president Harry S. Truman. And during that time, you know, from 1936 to 1964, she did end up divorcing George M. Clark in the 1940s. Um, but in 1948, she decided to put her efforts toward the candidacy of Harry Truman. She was one of his earliest supporters, and he was elected president in 1948 after succeeding to the role in 1945 upon the death of FDR. And you and I, Alex, have talked at length in another podcast about yes. FDR and his family life. So And his presidency. Yeah. Let's not rehash all that right now, but just stay go, tuned. Go listen to that other podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because Harry Truman was actually predicted to lose and in 1948 but he was especially thankful to those who had stood by him even though he was predicted to lose and he ended up winning mm -hmm. so the longtime position at the bank her role in the democratic national committee and her longtime support of harry truman helped her earn a nomination to treasurer mm -hmm. he commented on her role saying and i quote she knows money affairs as well as any man and anyone who brings their money here will know it is in charge of someone who knows how to take care of it that was an interesting Harry Truman impression. Yeah. I don't know why that is how he sounds to me in my head. Um, okay. I liked it. Okay. So. Fine. Uh, I don't actually, I've never seen an interview of him, so I don't actually know how he talks. I there We have a quote from Georgia coming up, and I would like you to read that in <laughs> whatever voice you think Georgia has. Okay. Uh, it's going to be ridiculous. Anyway. I can't wait. The um, Think about those things that came together, though. So, like, she had the banking experience. Yep. She had the political savvy and the political backing of the DNC. She'd been a longtime player there. And then she also had the backing from Truman. Yeah. So, it sort of was like this perfect storm. And, and she knew how to put on a show. Well, and I think that, you know, Tru you said this before, that Truman, um, you know, he took care of his supporters mm -hmm. and he wanted to, you know, show his appreciation for that. Um, but anyway, right. she was nominated. Mm -hmm. She was confirmed as the first woman to be treasurer of the United States. Yep. Um, she served in that role from June 9th, 1949 until January of 1953 when the Republicans with, uh, with Ike yeah. uh, took the presidency. Do you know what his campaign slogan was? I like Ike. Good job. My mom's a huge Eisenhower fan oh, for whatever reason. That's odd. Okay. I agree. <laughs> Not her politics at all. So I don't know. She taught me that when I was very young. Uh, okay. I like Ike. Um, I think anyway. she has a, a button. I need to see I, I remember her having a button. I feel like had, had that on it. We need to wear those around. Woo. Wear that button at. Yeah. Where's the button? <laughs> anyway. Um, unrelated. So <laughs> when Truman discussed taking the position with her, he, he basically tried to sell her on not taking the position. He, at the very least, was very honest with her about the disadvantages, you know, including the low pay, and asked her if she could afford to take the job. You know, they were having a conversation about what it would mean for her and, you know, how, how much pay would be. And he was sort of telling her, being honest, you know, you're a longtime supporter of mine, you're an ally of mine, and I'm going to be honest with you about what this is so that there's no... Resentment yeah, or anything. negativity. Mm -hmm. And um, her response to him was... This is the quote. Okay. Now read it as Georgia, please. <laughs> Can I afford not to? <laughs> That's horrible. I know. I know. That's horrible. Can I afford not okay, to? Okay, wow. No. Uh, no. Okay. Anyway. She basically just asked him, I can't afford not to. Can I afford not to? In saying that she realized the importance of the appointment, not only for her personally, but for women in general. And um, it's, it's indicative of the energy and uh, zeal and style 
what she had throughout her life of being a strong woman, you know, like who, who moved to New York city, knowing not a soul. You know, yeah. That's yeah. sort of like courage. Yeah. I mean, where would she, where would we be if she, um, you know, had not right. realized the importance and, and realized that, you know, she and women could not afford for her not to take this role. Uh, so, right. you know, thanks Georgia for that. Yeah. So but anyway, she was the 29th treasurer of the United States of America. And we would like to talk a little bit about the what treasurer. That means. <laughs> yes. So please, um, Alicia, take the place of the U.S. public school system for me right now and teach me about the treasury. Okay. So she was the 29th treasurer of the United States of America. That means that she was in charge of all the bills, coins, and government securities held in vaults. The office of treasurer was and still is a part of the treasury department. The department of the treasury is an executive department in the treasury of the United States federal government. So basically, as a treasurer, she was in charge of all of the money. All that money. All the dollar dollar bills. <laughs> dollar dollar bills, y'all. So the treasury prints all paper currency and mints all coins in circulation through the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and the United States Mint, respectively. The treasury was established by an act of Congress in 1789, if you didn't know that. Um, I will talk more about why. I bet you will. <laughs> when I saw it in the podcast, I was like, oh, of course. If I can sneak that in, I know. I'm going to sneak it in. I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, the um, they collect all federal taxes, which we all know is through the Internal Revenue Service. Ugh, the IRS. They manage and advise the legal, the, excuse me, the legislative and executive branches on matters of fiscal policy. The department is administered by the Secretary of the Treasury, who is a member of the cabinet for the president mm -hmm. the senior advisor to the secretary secretary is the treasurer of the united states so basically there's the president and then there's the cabinet and in the cabinet is the, the um the secretary of the treasury and then the person that is the direct report of that person is the treasurer okay so that would be georgia uh, georgia reported to the secretary who reported to truman mm-hmm mm -hmm. got it signatures of both officials the treasurer and the secretary secretary of the treasury appear on federal reserve notes. That means dollar dollar bills. Yeah. Um, would you like to know who the first secretary of the treasury was? Look, I I know um, who it was uh, only because you are absolutely obsessed with this person who has become the Kevin Bacon of our podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's like, ahead. what is it, six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yes, it is now six degrees of... Alexander Hamilton. Yes. Uh, he actually created the Treasury. Um, he was sworn into office on September 11th, 1789. He was appointed by President George Washington and established almost single-handedly the nation's early financial system and for several years was a major presence in Washington's administration. Um, his portrait appears on the obverse of the $10 bill while the Treasury Department building is depicted on the reverse. Isn't, um, was he the one that we were going to replace with Harriet Tubman? No. Hamilton is never leaving okay. the dollar bill. That was real sassy. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about, we were going to replace Andrew Jackson. Okay. With Harriet Tubman. So why is, like, why would Andrew Jackson be, um, taken off and not, uh, Hamilton? Like, like one sentence, high level answer. High level answer? Yeah. Um, even though Alexander Hamilton had his faults, he did not send thousands of people to their death in a trail of tears. Okay. Um, that is a great Ethnic answer. Cleansing, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I think that's a great answer. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, like, you and I are huge fangirls of Harriet Tubman. 
Um, yeah, I the, feel like my personal opinion is that she should replace Jackson on the twenty dollar bill. That's I completely agree with you. Uh, you and I have been digging in to uh, do research on Harriet Tubman because you heard it here first. We're doing a podcast on her yes. next year. Like we're so excited about mm-hmm. this. Um, we're recording it early because the movie comes out in a couple of weeks about Harriet. Right. Um, and uh, you and I we are both read very the research excited about and then it. see the movie and then cry hysterically during the movie and then come in here and tell you about it while we cry hysterically. Again. Exactly. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll give you some more reasons about why jackson or sorry why harriet should replace andrew jackson on the 20 dollar bill yeah and also speaking of podcasts um stay tuned for a special bonus episode about eliza hamilton who is the wife of alexander hamilton that'll be posted in december yeah very true um, and i just straight up fangirl of that so i heard it yeah, yeah. I, I was not part of that one but yeah i did hear that one um so you said something that Hamilton will never be taken off the $10 bill. Well, yes. I don't know if that's accurate, but why do you feel that way? I feel that way because he single-handedly created the financial system in the United States of America, which that's is fair. He also um, wrote speeches for George Washington. So like his final speech as the president, he wrote it. Okay. Um, also, the musical Hamilton has really launched him to popularity. And um, if you have not seen it, it's just a fabulous piece of musical theater that you will enjoy. <laughs> but um, I just think he's too popular right now. They would not be able to take him off. He's, he's too popular. And he did too much for the country to be removed. Whereas Andrew Jackson just kind of murdered a bunch of people. So. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, and I think we have, you know, pretty much one person to, I guess, thank for that. Which is Lin Manuel Miranda wrote we, Hamilton as we, well as we love him. In the Heights and Moana. So um, all of those watch all of them. Yeah, but we we love. <laughs> do you follow uh, Lin on uh, on Twitter? I don't know how to follow new people on Twitter. I'm gonna um, have to show you how to do that. I only Twitter when you tell me to, and when I log <laughs> in, I look at my notifications, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to retweet this, and that's like really all I know how to do. <laughs> I know how to write a comment and I know how to retweet without comment. So I'm going to have to show you, I'll show you after we're done with this, um, how to follow uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda because he tweets out these really great things. That like sounds he, great. He does these, you know, good morning and good night uh, tweets that are, um, they're very encouraging and motivating and positive. I mean, if there was a book about these tweets, I would read that. Like, you want me to just like print them all out and bind them up in a book I, for Didn't you? he make a book of them though? I don't know. I think he did. He made a book of them. Like he had them made so into a funny. book. And that's, that is my preferred venue of reading. Okay. <laughs> it's not Twitter. I will try to remember that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, is there anything else that you want to say about Hamilton? Because I know that you love him and that it is uh, nothing that is relevant. Okay, good. <laughs> Then let's get back to Georgia. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's enough of a tangent for now. Okay. We love you, Hamilton. It's great. Anyway, um, so Dwight Eisenhower, Ike, if you will. Ike, yeah. He, he was the one who took the presidency in 1953 after yeah. Truman. Right. He was careful to appoint a woman to succeed Georgia in the post, and the post has been regularly filled by women since. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so during this time, Georgia, uh, she was still highly visible, um, as a figure in the Democratic Party, and she was actually, I didn't know this, an associate of Eleanor Roosevelt, who we both very much enjoy, very much, um, love. Um, if you don't know that, we did an, I don't know, like an hour-long podcast to our love affair of Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, well, Eleanor Roosevelt, she's- There's just so much to talk about with her. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's the other October one, right? Yeah, it's our other October um, podcast. Um, but Georgia, they actually, um, they shared the speaker's platform a few times, mm-hmm. which I just think is really cool. 
it's interesting how everybody is connected. Like we, we find these people and we don't think that they're connected. And then we find out, oh my gosh, they like spoke together or are not only connected to Hamilton, but yeah. are also connected to each, each other. other. <laughs> Everybody's connected to Hamilton, but sometimes they're connected to each other as well. So anyway, following her term, Georgia decided to return to Kansas and work in the family businesses. Um, she remarried in 1953 to Andrew Gray, who was a New York and Washington newspaperman, journalist and press agent. Mm hmm. Yeah, and she remained active with the DNC for years after that. She did. Um, and then, you know, later in the 1960s, the Army Corps of Engineers actually purchased a town. Um, I didn't know that they could do this. Her town. Her town, yeah. Her hometown of Richland um, for what would later become uh, Clinton Lake. So I think that Georgia sort of caught wind of this um, because in 1964, she moved the bank to Topeka and renamed it the Capital City State Bank. Harry Truman actually spoke at the dedication of the new bank, and he said, Mrs. Gray is the only United States treasurer since the Civil War who really worked at her job. That's not the same voice as I gave before, but, yeah, but it is I, what uh, it is at this I, point. I dig that one. <laughs> I don't know that he actually sounds that way at all. Poor, poor um, Mr. Truman, we apologize. Please forgive us. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk more about what this actually is, because this is really interesting uh this was something that you were particularly really interested in when mm -hmm. we were doing the research on this mm -hmm. so essentially the area kept flooding over and over again and it was just devastation and so what they ended up doing was the army corps of engineers decided well if we just buy all this land and flood it then we can use it as a water source but like we can like a reservoir yeah there won't be any people living there so when it floods you know when waters rush in here it's not a big deal because then it's mm -hmm. just adding to the reservoir and that's Right, no property damage, right. no um, loss Death. of life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, overall, it's a great plan. Um, but what about the people who live there right now? Right. So in the late 1960s, they came in and purchased the entire town of Richland. Um, this project was authorized by the Flood Control Act of 1962. But in that time, between 1962 and the late 1960s, the government was slow to proceed with the project. Even though they had announced it, they didn't actually have anything in place yet. Mm -hmm. to move forward, which left the property owners in Richland unable to sell their land and unsure sure of their futures. Like everybody knows that this is going to be flooded. So nobody wants to buy the land. Right. But you also can't move because you don't have the money from selling your land to move out. And just as they're getting the plan together, the place keeps flooding. More damage, yes. more loss of life. Less, uh, more depreciation on your, yeah. on your assets. Absolutely. So it was very frustrating for the people who lived in Richland and Georgia did not forget her roots and didn't forget the people that she grew up around. So she played a key role in urging Congress to provide funds for the project so that property owners could go get bought out, have their land purchased at a fair price, and then move on with their lives. Like she personally lobbied mm -hmm. in Congress to get the funding and used all of her contacts and connections to get this set up. And then by 1974, the town was vacated and the remaining buildings were demolished. So in basically 10 years, they went from a thriving town to flooding it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she was very instrumental in this. And can you imagine how well-received she would be after her efforts paid off in this way? The people of Richland who had to move, but... She would be beloved by them. And I mean, also on the, on the flip side of that, like, what if she hadn't bestirred herself? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what if she hadn't done it? What if she hadn't been there? You know, what, I mean, what, what if they what if they didn't offer them a fair amount of money for their house and they all became basically homeless because they couldn't afford to buy another piece of similar land? Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the most <clears throat> I mean, you know, besides her role as, as treasurer and, and the first treasurer of the United States, female treasurer rather of the United States. This is probably one of the most important things she did with her life. 
And this, I mean, this was a thing that they did in the 40s, 50s, and 60s um, as a part of the New Deal through yep. FDR. Um, this is sort of like a later version of it, but they also did this with the Tennessee Valley Authority. They flooded large swaths of land to create reservoirs and whatnot, which is a great, it was a great plan, but the logistics in this case didn't work out so great until Georgia got involved. I just think that's really cool. Um, I mean, so she had retired from politics uh, in 1964. So she like, she put her foot back in the door, um, Mm -hmm. you know, back into the, um, you know, the, the, the ring yeah. of politics for this specific cause, mm-hmm. um, which is just, that's just, uh, you know, who she is. Right. I, I thought it was really impressive. Of, it spoke a lot about her character. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like it, it did nothing for her. She'd already moved her. She was rich. She was mm-hmm. rich as a child. She'd already moved her bank. So like the financial side of her family was already safe. But I mean, they also had all those holdings in the town that were going to get that. flooded. Yeah. She lost everything just like yeah. they did. Yeah. So I, yeah. It, it, be, it was a, it benefited her, but I don't think that she did it solely for herself. She definitely did it for all of the other landowners as well. I agree. So anyway, um, she never had any children. She spent the remainder of her life focusing on banking as well as, you know, all their other businesses and things. And she ended up passing away at the age of 97 on October 26, 1995 in Topeka mm-hmm. and is buried beside her husband at Pleasant Hill Cemetery in Southeast Shawnee County. Her husband had passed away a year previous to that. That's kind of cute that they mm-hmm. uh, passed away within a year year of each other. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about her legacy. Um, so let's go in a little bit to uh, what she's known for now. Like, what what are the kind of things that um, you know, like what what the recognition did she get? For uh, her? She got a lot of awards. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Um, she was the native sons and daughters of Kansas's distinguished Kansan of the Year in 1984. That's a lot of letters words. And yeah. Kansas is in there a lot. Um, the Georgia Nice Gray Performance Hall at the Topeka Performing Arts Center is named after her. Mm-hmm. The Georgia Nice Gray Award is reserved for presentation to Kansans who have served in elected office at the municipal and or county level who have performed outstanding service to their community in the pursuit of principles of the Kansas Democratic Party. This service commends a lengthy and broad participation in public service endeavors to the city, county, and state. So this award is considered the highest honor which can be bestowed upon by the Kansas Democratic Party to its officials. She was also inducted into the Topeka Business Hall of Fame in February of 2008, and then later inducted into the Kansas Business Hall of Fame in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, She ripped the door off its hinges for women (laughs) after her in in the position of treasurer. It's been a woman ever since. So there's no door anymore. The door's gone. No mo do. No mo do. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there's been um, like 15 or 16 treasurers um, after her time. And like like we we said, mm-hmm. they have only been females. So she really, um, you know, not only ripped that door uh, off its hinges um, and made the door disappear, but... Hashtag no mo do. Yeah. Let's uh, let's make that the hashtag yeah, in this yeah. episode. Okay. Uh, she proved that women could could run a business and then also handle money, handle money, and handle all of the money for the U.S. government. Because like, remember, at this time, women are not allowed to hold a bank account on their own mm-hmm. without a man. I mean, we got we got a while before they're allowed to get a credit card in their own name. Yep. You know, it's it's impressive that she was able to go to the level of position that she got to with the, that sort of mindset being prevalent. I completely agree with you, but one of the things that 
struck both of us when, um, you know, we were doing the research on this was that there's not much on her. Like I literally looked at every website that contains any information on her to get all of this put together. And so I don't know if that is indicative of her perceived lack of importance by people around her or... Was she a private person or I, I don't know, but there've been many women whose stories have been lost to history. Yeah. And she's, she's just not really remembered like she should be. Right. Which right. is why she has us. Yeah. Which is why we're doing this. Yes. So I'm glad that we could uh, take a few minutes and honor Georgia mm-hmm. um, to just bring a light <clears throat> to her accomplishments and um, the things that she did in her life. So let's toast yes. to Georgia and the demolishment of the door. Hashtag no motive. <laughs> Let's thank her for her contributions to women in finance, specifically women in the treasury. She is a true trailblazer to Georgia. Ooh, that was a good one. So again, this is a little louder now by the Bridge Initiative. Thank you, Alex, for this great conversation. You know, I always love talking about these women with you. It's great. Um, Thank you, listeners, for taking some time with me today to talk about the door breaker (laughs) hinge buster (laughs) Georgia Nice Clark hyphen gray. Um, (laughs) Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great women from financial services talking about a variety of topics. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or you just want to be a part of our community, just visit us at fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. You can email us at bridge at fi360.com and connect with us on Twitter and Insta at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now. now.